This is Sports Jam. I'm Doug Doyle. I have a very special guest today. He's the host of another podcast, the popular DraftKings Network podcast, Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. The former Notre Dame offensive lineman has been a broadcaster since he retired from professional football. Mike Golick Jr. is a respected college football and NFL analyst now on the DraftKings Network. He likes to have fun, and that's why we want to have him on the show. Mike Golick Jr., great to have you on this podcast. Appreciate you having me. A lot of fun, but looking forward to it. So this show certainly has, uh, if you don't mind, a Notre Dame flavor all over it. Because as you look behind me, I want to give you a little history of why this is the case. Uh, I've been a fan of the Irish since my late father would turn on the television and we would watch highlights of Notre Dame football with Lindsey Nelson. And then we would listen to Joe Montana on the radio and wonder why Joe wasn't cracking the starting lineup because he was a Western Pennsylvania boy where we're from and we were always rooting for Joe Montana. Eventually, Dan Devine would wake up and would put him in the starting lineup and became one of the greatest college quarterbacks and pro quarterbacks ever. So dad went to Notre Dame, Mike, for 40 seasons. Now, mind you, he's from Pittsburgh, right? But for 40 seasons, it was a big bus trip. It was the bonding trip for my father, me, and my brother. And we even took some of my brother's kids a few times. But for him, it was a, it was a great time. We saw some of the greatest players and greatest games uh, in Notre Dame history, even the push game. We were in the opposite end zone, Mike. Now, you were born in Voorhees, New Jersey. But the Notre Dame connection is strong for you. Your dad played for Notre Dame. You played for Notre Dame. There's more connections we'll get into. But Notre Dame's still in your blood, right? Yeah, it, it always has been. You know, for me, you mentioned dad played there. But really, that pipeline got started by my Uncle Bob. He was seven years my dad's senior. He was there for the 77 National Championship team. My Uncle Greg was a year older than my dad and played offensive line there. My dad and my mom met on Notre Dame's campus. My mom was at St. Mary's the same time my dad was at Notre Dame. And so I, I would not exist quite literally without what Notre Dame ha had done for my family. And I think that's why it's always been special because it's just been a part of my entire family's life from the time I was a kid. There was blue and gold everywhere you looked in our house. They, My parents started the brainwashing early and very effectively uh, considering that all three of their kids, me and both my brother and my sister, all ended up going there, all ended up playing sports there. So it was definitely effective. But, you know, my parents still have a home out there now. We spend a lot of our time in South Bend, probably more time in South Bend, uh, you know, borderline living there than most people that go through the university. But it always really has felt like home no matter where we've moved. It's funny you mentioned brainwash. I went to Penn State in my senior year. I sang the Penn State fight song and alma mater that really not many people know, the alma mater. And then I put on my Irish Tammy and rooted for the Irish in the Penn State student section. That was not very popular. But that's how much brainwashing and ingraining a dad can be. And you mentioned your uncle. Well, that's his football on top of all the footballs there. Assigned Bob Golick, Notre Dame football, because he was one of my favorites. One of the greatest college players that I ever saw put on a uniform and then went on to be such a superstar in the, the NFL and the Cleveland Browns and, and many other teams. So I'm very aware of the Golic tradition 
uh, for for Notre Dame. You're there working with Dad on the Gojo podcast. I've listened to many episodes. You even talk about Barbie in one of them. So you you go all over the place. How much fun has it been for you? Uh, it's been great. You know, I, I've always said back, even going to when I first got to ESPN when Dad was still there. You know, we had gotten a chance to call a couple of college football games together, and then that morphed into a couple of radio appearances together. And by the end of his time there, we spent, you know, the better part of two and a half years hosting together with Trey Wingo on the morning show and getting to work together like that. You know, I, I'd grown up so similar to my dad. I'd grown up wanting to be my dad. You know, him and my mom both were the people I idolized as a kid. I was so fortunate to have great examples and heroes in my house. And so to get to do that with dad every day and I, I don't know, find even a different dynamic to our relationship than we had had where so much, and, and you know this, of, of audio, but especially podcasting, radio, it's long form, it's personal, you get to know people. And so we got to simultaneously have this personal side of our relationship, the same arguments we've been having about sports and God knows what else behind closed doors our entire life, now getting to share them with everybody on radio and then also to get to deal with it in a professional capacity, to get to learn things about navigating this industry, to get to, as I started calling more college games, pick his brain, finally at a place where I was ready to receive what he had to say, right? Because my dad used to break down film with me when I was in high school, and there were you know Saturdays and Sundays after games where I didn't necessarily, as a 16, 17-year-old, want to hear the criticisms or advice my dad had because I'm a teenager and I think I know everything at that point, but now getting to live that relationship in a professional capacity at a time where, all right, I was ready to kind of hear, hey, a guy who has over two decades of broadcast experience, what are the things that helped him? What are the things in his preparation that stuck and made sense? And then to just get to enjoy all that time together. Uh, you know, I think the other thing, you know, I'm in my mid-30s now, you start to realize the time you get to spend with your family, your parents, it, it's fewer and further between. And so we try not to take this stuff for granted. We got to live it once before, and we're getting a chance to do it again now here at DraftKings. And it's a, a really cool chance to you know keep getting to spend time with my dad, above all things. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Michael Jr. That is me. With me, as always, super producer Brandon Newman. Isaiah, back in the desert. My father, Mike Golick Sr. And, Dad, we got a great show for everybody today. They should download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us a five-star rating. Plenty of stuff to talk about with the new world of college football, the Hall of Fame game, the U.S. Women's National Team. But it seems like everyone is fighting right now. We're going to get to hands across the world of sports. We got hands in boat docks down in Birmingham. So have you gotten in any fights out in South Bend that we need to know about, Dad? Because it seems to be going around right now. I have not. All I've done is switch where I'm doing the show for a little while while because the place I was doing it looked like the Dexter murder room. So I'm actually getting that fixed up a little bit. So I'm actually in the in the little weight room we have in the South Bend house. So. Obviously a close relationship, as you just mentioned. But what is it about your dad that maybe drives you crazy? Everybody has something about their dad, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I mean, I think with my dad, it's it's not the fact that he is technologically inept it's the fact that he could be better at it he just doesn't want to be like this has nothing to do even with on air i sit the amount of times when i'm visiting my parents and i'll see my dad loves his ipad more than anything in the world loves watching all his shows my dad's watched more television than i would say anybody on the planet he's seen every show and seen it twice and he's seen it six months before you did and yet with the amount of time he uses that the minute something goes wrong Passwords not working right. Something's not logging on correctly. Instead of 
problem solving, asking someone for help and then learning there. My dad just hands it off to my mom or hands it off to my sister or hands it off to one of us and asks us to fix it. And has, you know, the idea, you know, uh, take a man fishing or, you know, catch a man a fish, whatever it is, but you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. My dad has no interest in being taught how to fish at this point when it comes to anything technological. So as a 60 year old, I believe in his mind, he is onboarded as much as he's possibly going to, and he's going to leave the rest for all of us. Now, you, you know, you've mentioned that you, you enjoy being being an analyst now, but your football career, it's a testament to you and your work ethic. Because when you started there at Notre Dame, you know, because of such powerhouse in, in a school like that, it took time to eventually break your way into the lineup. But your last season at Notre Dame, the team averaged more than 200 yards rushing and had a fantastic season. Touchdown wins it. Golson trying to get across. And they stay perfect at 9-0. What do you remember most about your final season at Notre Dame? Um, I remember learning how hard winning was. Like the, I, I think I've gotten better at encapsulating that as I went along because I always tell people from the outside looking in, the rest of my time at Notre Dame, we were a dead dog average football team. Like you mentioned, it took me a long time to get on the field. I was a three-star undersized recruit coming out of high school. I had all the nepotism tags following me around, some of that doubt that creeps in. And so I do hold, you know, I ended up with 17 starts there and I hold each and every one of them dearly because there's no one that can help you once you're out there. It's you and you have to hold up on your end and you got to do it for the other 10 guys that are on the field for you, the other, you know, over 100 that are on the team with you. And, and I took that challenge really seriously, and I took a lot of pride in that. But that last season specifically, you know, getting a chance to be the day one starter going into the year and then all of a sudden having the success that comes. And we were a veteran team. We had a lot of guys that had played a lot of football, a lot of guys that had been around there for a while. But learning how to win, that thing people always say, I think is really just learning the attention to detail that's necessary and the sheer volume of work. Harry Heastan was my offensive line coach my last year. I had four line coaches in five years. And Harry is the best football coach that I've ever had at any level. You know, he's the most important figure in my football life outside of my own dad. And he pushed us harder than any coach has ever pushed me. And we worked longer and harder and went rep after rep after rep in a way that pushed all of us. But on the other side of that was you got to find out how good you could be. He was going to draw that out of you. And so I think through him and just through that season, seeing how, all right, we couldn't take a week off. You know, at the end of that year, we end up down 21 nothing or 28 nothing to pit in the game where we took our eyes off the prize for a bit. And thankfully, we were able to work our way back through and get over on that one. But there were lessons like that all along the way where a team that was trying to make that jump from struggling team who had had a coach fired after my sophomore year to team laying the new foundation under a new regime with Brian Kelly. And to finally that year being able to put some of those pieces together. I think it was one of the hardest years of football of my life, but looking back on it now, it, it was so rewarding because, you know, people always use sports as a microcosm for life, but I did learn at, at the highest level, I think, that that year, the work it takes to get the things you want out of any given situation, and that season definitely had a lot of that. You kind of touched upon it, and it 
immediately reminded me of when I had Trinity Rodman on the show talking about, you know, following in her dad's footsteps, completely different scenario. But you had the pressure that you had mentioned and doubt uh, creeping in with the Golic tradition at Notre Dame and how you have to live up to that. And you did it. So how difficult was that? Um, very, I mean, I mean, I always tell people I was a lot more naturally talented as a chubby kid who liked to talk walking into this job than I was walking into football. You know, I had to be a technique guy. I was always undersized. So I had to work to keep the weight on and all those things and on and on down the line. And then, yeah, listen, you get a lot of people that look at the last name and where you're at and think you're only there because of that. And, you know, it was my job not only to go out and, and I think we're all human in some sense, want to prove those people wrong, but also just want to prove yourself right that, you know, you belong with the incredible guys you go to work with each and every day. Some of the best athletes on the planet, buddies of mine like Zach Martin and Kyle Rudolph, Harrison Smith, who have gone on to these incredible prolific NFL careers that, listen, I certainly didn't have, but to get to play along those sides and guys in college and, and live out my dream, I guess that was kind of at the basis of all of this is you know, the more and more I reflect on it, I, I didn't necessarily grow up wanting to be an NFL football player, but that dream was there. That was definitely something I wanted to do, but I, I grew up and more than anything. I wanted to play at Notre Dame. I wanted to go to that place and try and give a little bit back to even put a dent into what that place has given my family and given me. And so uh, that was, you know, a, a fair amount of pressure with that. And listen, my brother felt that the same way. My sister felt that the same way as a swimmer there. And so, you know, it was just something you, you, you manage, but you also understood, listen, what we were afforded because of that last name and so many aspects of life, the opportunities there are, are things that most people only dream of. And so it was always my job to make sure I honored that opportunity, make sure I, I I did right by the last name as best I could and the foundation that my mom and dad and the rest of my family had set and, you know, try and just make sure we we did that the best we could, you know, in the honor off the field. And speaking of off the field, in 2012, you also made the Capital One Academic All-American football team, you and Manti Teo, both. So that stigma football players aren't smart that's not true is it well i, I my offensive linemen are smart i always tell people that like you got the fat geniuses up front on that side of the ball so i had to try and rep for the brand right there i couldn't in good conscience be the dumb o lineman so and, and yeah no listen I, that was also something that you know give credit to my parents they drilled that in to us from day one going back to high school is if you didn't have the grades football wasn't going to be there and you know, for me, especially being the oldest, there's, you know, that perfectionist in you. But when you're told, hey, listen, the, the academic standards at a place like Notre Dame that you want to go are different. And so if you don't have that buttoned up, maybe that's not an opportunity, especially if you're not five star, one of the best recruits in the country type thing. And so, uh, you know, having that and then taking advantage of the opportunity uh, when you get there on campus to make use of, you know, some of the best academic minds in the world to get to be around students that are going to go on to be some of the most influential leaders in whatever field they choose to study. And it's a, a pretty cool opportunity. I mean, like I said, you rub elbows to elbows in the football facility with some of the best that are going to go on and do it in their profession in the NFL. It's the same way when you're in the classroom out there. I mean, and, and that's one of the cool parts now to get to look and see a bunch of my former classmates that are going on and excelling wherever they're at. And, you know, trying to live up to that challenge in a, in a different arena in the classroom, for sure. I want to ask you a little bit about the Notre Dame season coming up. But before we run out of time, I got to ask you about the transfer portal and paying athletes in college football. 
it's turned the game upside down, some teams upside down. Do you like it? I do. Because uh, look around at the rest of the sport right now. We've had God knows how many teams just switch conferences, a bunch of TV deals and money dictating the future of the sport at the highest levels. I, I, I sort of laugh at the notion that we're going to act like a bunch of kids finally being able to get some of the money that's been flooding the sport is the thing that's actually changed it in a meaningful way. Yeah, it's changed it a bunch, especially for coaches, right? The transfer portal and uh, name, image, and likeness money flooding the system all at once has certainly created a unique challenge. And you couple that with you know the expanded eligibility from the COVID season that coaches have been dealing with on the roster building front. And it's a lot to take in. I don't begrudge that. It's a ton of work for these coaches. But at the same time, in my mind, it's players finally getting a little bit of what everyone else in the system has benefited from for a while, which is freedom of movement and freedom to earn based on your name and performance in these cases and what we've seen. So, yeah, I, I think it's... Right now, listen, like everything else in college football, imperfect and highly unregulated. But, uh, you know, if everyone else is going to get to play by those rules and reap all the benefits, I see no reason why the players should be excused from that. That freedom of movement has allowed Sam Hartman, who was a terrific quarterback at Wake Forest, now to be the Notre Dame starter this season. And there are high hopes for the Irish because of that. What are your thoughts on Notre Dame season this year and coach? Uh, yeah, listen, uh, you know, for Marcus, I, I think the charge and the more I thought about this, because last year you went into the season and you were bringing back this incredibly veteran team, obviously, you know, outside of the quarterback spot. And you walked into that season and I said, all right, you were able to keep so much of your staff intact together. Marcus was a guy from the first time I met him back when he was the D coordinator at Cincinnati. Uh, it might have been 2017, 2018, I called a game. We were in the meeting room, our, our crew getting to do the, the conversations with the coaching staffs. And we all walked out and said, oh, okay, that guy's you know, going to be a head coach. It's not if, it's just when. And saw that, and I said, all right, year one, hey, listen, you're going to be defined if you can go out and take two or three between Ohio State, USC, and Clemson, that'll be your season. And then Marshall happened and Stanford happened and, and all the things that we know about last season. And so I really think that what Brian Kelly did so well at the end of his tenure and what will be the sign of progress in year two as far as consistency for Marcus will be making sure that the winnable games, the ones you're supposed to have checked off on the schedule, are taken care of, that you don't take your eye off the ball like we talked about before because they've got the talent around that team to go. We saw last year. I mean, beat up on Clemson at home in South Bend and are going to get a chance to try and do that on the road. have been competitive in that series as of late. The Ohio State game, first game of the season, was a really close one on the road in Columbus. And now they're going to get that at home. And all of those things, like the ceiling there, especially now bringing in a veteran player like Sam Hartman, who's accomplished so much during his time at Wake Forest and, and is such a really mature player at that position, an important leadership position on the team who just has so many reps of game speed and high-pressure situations under his belt that I really think he's going to do a ton for the young skill players in the receiver room there and just the way that offense operates, dealing with some changes now with Jared Parker coming over, replacing Tommy Reese, who's at Alabama. And so I think the goal for this team is consistency. I think what we can expect record-wise. Listen, that was a nine-win team last year after the Gator Bowl win against South Carolina. And I think this year, if you display that consistency and you've got the top-end talent to challenge an Ohio State who's dealing with major turnover at the quarterback spot, to challenge Clemson right now, who is also in, a, I think, an interesting time in their program's history with all the changes that are going on at a place that had been the marker of consistency for so long, 
Can you go and grab a couple of those and be a double-digit win team that gives yourself a shot at New Year's Six Bowl and maybe an outside shot uh, at the playoff? That's certainly the ceiling, but I I think this season is really about getting the floor back to where we become accustomed to it being and for Marcus Freeman to be able to to put on display a bunch of the lessons that he learned in year one. Fans, we're circling September 23rd at Notre Dame. You mentioned the Ohio State game, but we hope the team doesn't circle that because they had some uh, stumbles against far inferior teams last year. Can you watch a game now? Can you go and just enjoy a game or do you have to analyze it in your head? I, I wish I could just analyze Notre Dame games. I'm way too emotional about those sometimes. That's why I'm so thankful. Uh, I get to go call college football games on radio with Learfield. And usually because we're Saturday night games, and because Notre Dame ends up in a lot of primetime games, I, I usually don't get to watch live, which is almost better because I grew up a diehard fan of Notre Dame. I was the kind of fan that, if Notre Dame scored while I was in the bathroom, I'd stay in the bathroom for the rest of that quarter. I'm like, all right, I got to do my part. I got to be the good luck charm. And you'd think going through and realizing, man, people do all this work all week. The players, the coaches, the staffs get a chance to influence the actual result. I got to be a part of that. Surely I wouldn't buy into letting a team ruin my life that I can't affect in any way. But here I am still living and dying with them every weekend. So no, I, I, I watch the game. I try to enjoy it. Um, I, I, can get a little bit too excited sometimes when the games are close and Notre Dame fans know we love to make a close, compelling television product. So uh, I'm hoping one day my blood pressure can lower a little bit during some of these games. Pitt is back on the schedule for Notre Dame. And I'll have to tell you, Mike, I'm old because I remember being at Pitt stadium with Tony Dorsett, who was Tony Dorsett at the time. And now Tony Dorsett, he had 303 total yards against the Irish, and me and my dad were with a group of Pitt fans. We were two out of 22 on the uh, on the trip, and Notre Dame went up 7-0 that day, and then Tony touched the ball, uh, and it was over. He is the greatest college football player I've ever seen live uh, during that day. I also, though, was when Notre Dame visited Pitt Stadium and the Irish upset Dan Marino in his senior year, and that was a, a huge win for the Irish. Now you were a standout lineman at Northwest Catholic Indians high school football team. So, you know, you had the goods, you said, you know, you're undersized, but you did, you did have the goods and somebody who has had the goods their entire career is Aaron Rodgers, And now he brings this hall of fame career to the jets, a team that has desperately wanted to win for so many seasons. I used to wear the Joe Namath helmet when I was a kid. I had a white helmet, and I turned it in because he's a Western PA kid too. Is Aaron Rodgers going to be the savior for the Jets this season? Probably. I mean, now to what ends, you know, there's only so much you can do to overcome the Jets and that franchise and what they've traditionally done to anything resembling winning. But I think the team's in a really good place, and we know – the overwhelming headlines been, hey, if you can get the offensive line situation figured out, you might really have something, but it's the best quarterback they've had around there in my lifetime. You know, I know last season was a bit of a statistical drop coming off two straight MVPs, but you look at the tape and you watch what went on most of last season. Physically, I don't think there's been a, a ton of regression or, or, or you know, corrosion of the skill set as he's now touching 40 years old. And you can see he's clearly revitalized by this. You know, it was there all offseason. He was doing all the stuff that Green Bay Packers fans really wanted him to do towards the end. And for whatever reason, just wasn't happening. And now with the change of scenery this late in his career, 
things are starting to feel like new again. And, and there's really no accounting for sometimes how much context of your situation matters. And if you've got a guy that feels rejuvenated by all the young pieces around him, you know, you saw the great exchange at the Hall of Fame game with him and Sauce Gardner, the great young defensive back who was talking to Darrell Revis. And Aaron Rodgers kind of gives him that nod and says, hey, you're going to be here one day. You know, I, I think he relishes trying to put himself in that mentor role with a lot of these young players and, and going out and trying to now insert himself on a team that, listen, last year had the defense. You know, Rob Sala, defensive-minded head coach, finally got that unit to really perform up to par, and they look like they're in position to be able to do that again. And now you take an offense that added a bunch of his buddies from Green Bay, hopefully is going to get Brees Hall, who was sensational as a rookie back sometime in the early portion of the season. And then, you know, you had the offensive and defensive rookie of the year with Garrett Wilson joining Sauce, like we talked about before. There's a lot to like about this team. You just so happen to play in a division right now that might look like the toughest in the NFL. I mean, the Bills are expected to compete for a Super Bowl every year at this point. The Miami Dolphins, if Tua can stay healthy, have what looks like a top five roster in terms of talent in the NFL. And so the Jets are certainly going to have their work cut out for them, but uh, they are absolutely capable of competing, and that's the expectation now when you bring a guy in. And two years is Aaron Rodgers saying, oh, no, we're going to make this last a while because people were so afraid it might be one and done. The clock is ticking, and uh, it's very important they strike while the iron's hot. You signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers as an undrafted free agent in 2013, and you tried for several seasons to really get a footing in professional football. But obviously, it, it was very tough, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, and listen, I you know, I, I, as coming in the way I did, you know, I, we always joke my dad was a, a 10th or a 12th round draft pick back when they had that many rounds in the draft. And so, you know, I ended up as a priority undrafted guy for them. And it's a similar idea where you got to go in and you got to try and fight your way through each and every time. And, you know, being the guy at the back end of the roster, you're you're scratching and clawing for reps. You're trying to make the most of it and, you know, work for opportunity and stuff like that. And, you know, took my best shot, like you said, over the course of three years, did, you know, two training camps, one with them and one with the Saints, was in the offseason program with the Saints, played in a, you know, minor league startup, went to Canadian football training camp. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, did the best you could. And if that wasn't good enough, then you got to learn to live with that. Got to find a way to live with that. And thankfully, and fortunately, uh, you know, I've been able to sink my teeth into a new career path and find a way there. But uh, yeah, it's, you know, part of why the preseason is so fun. And part of why I enjoy watching so much of the preseason games is you get a chance to see undrafted guys who maybe were stud players, but aren't the right size or guys that came on late in their college career who try and get a chance to go out and you know, do something like what Brock Purdy did last year. Not everyone's going to have it go and have success at that high of a level necessarily. But when I get to watch guys that were younger than me at Notre Dame who have now gone as undrafted guys and carved out multi-year careers for themselves and given themselves a great next head start for the rest of their lives, it's it's really fun to watch because, again, like you said, I, I got a little peek into that world and the work it takes to succeed and get to that level that I wasn't able to do, but that I got to see up close the process of so many who were able to. And you, you do learn a lot from that if you keep your eyes open, and thankfully I did. Did it make you a better person? Because sometimes success isn't the true character. It's when you have roadblocks and hurdles. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I won't go that far. It would have been fun as hell, and I'm sure I could have found a way to be a good person going in and living out the NFL dream too. But, you know, like any situation, it's all what you make of it. I don't know if it's, you know, 
a, a better person or a worse person as much as you know you're a different person. You you learn what you can from the situation. I, I know in that short time, some of the relationships that I cultivated there, some of the players that I got to know, some of the coaches that I got to learn from, albeit very briefly, all of those were experiences that now I can still draw on. I mean, listen, at, at, at the base level, my dad always said the job that we have going into the media is you've got chances and experiences as a player to take people where they couldn't go into locker rooms at the high D one level into locker rooms, even briefly at the pro level. And it's the same for reporters who have never played a down of football. You know, people that are hosts who still have access to athletes in different ways have gotten to go cover teams and be around them, travel with teams beyond that beat. You get experiences on the inside there. You get to talk to people. You get to be around people. You get to see things that other people don't. So your job is to take whatever your personal experience is and take people inside that that you know have to work a whole different job nine to five that have other things going on in their lives that can't spend as much time with sports as us and to use that and so while my experience wasn't what a lot of my peers in the industry was and certainly wasn't what I wanted it to be it's still different than 99% of the population and so I get to use all that in a way that's fun in a way that you know is what I can salvage from something that didn't go the way I wanted you can check out Mike Golick Jr. on his Gojo podcast and hear him be an analyst also for college football and the NFL on the DraftKings Network. So one last question for you. You and Dad, you can even bring some of the family members, right? You get to go on one trip back in the Wayback Machine to see a football game, or maybe it's not a football game, it's just a sporting event. Where are you going and why? Well, I might go right like the biggest wrong in my life. And you mentioned the push game. While it didn't go Notre Dame's way, it's unequivocally one of the most important football games in the 21st century. I mean, shaped rules, certainly had major ramifications on the future of Notre Dame and USC. And I was supposed to be at that game. So my high school, you mentioned, was a small co-ed Catholic high school in central Connecticut, which means we didn't have lights day in and day out. There's a neighborhood next there, a whole bunch of things with the ordinances that they just couldn't get. But they got it signed off to where our game of the season, that was that week of Notre Dame USC. And I had tickets for that. I was ready to go. And that week we were supposed to have a night game on Friday. That was what was going to allow me to go and get out of there early. It pours rain for three straight days in the lead up to that game. And they were bringing in these lights that they wheeled in and put out there. And because of the conditions of the field, they couldn't do that. And so we went from playing a game that was going to allow me to get out to South Bend to all of a sudden now having to move our game to Saturday and play there like we usually did. I was one of the few high school football teams that had, instead of Friday night lights, just Saturdays. And because of that, I ended up missing that game. And we had gone to two Notre Dame games a year since I was in like the fourth grade. So my parents were like, hey, we'll get to more. We're starting the recruiting process. So certainly was going to have the chance to go live it that way. And Lo and behold, we watched that game play out and turn into an all-timer. And knowing we had the tickets in hand, we were supposed to be there, and Mother Nature intervened, I think I might go back and at least live that one. If I'm going to have to deal with the ramifications of that game for the rest of my life and the pain that Matt Leinert and Reggie Bush and all those guys caused me, really, Dwayne Jarrett on that fourth and eights caused me, the very least I can be able to say that I was in the stadium for that as opposed to at home watching in pain on my couch in Connecticut. The pep rally the day before, Charlie Weiss told us, every time Leinert put his hands under center, I want you to be the loudest you've ever been. I asked Anthony Fasano, who was playing tight end that day, had he ever heard the stadium louder? And Because we hadn't. And he said no. We, you know, I was sitting next to my brother, and then my dad was uh, next to, uh, to Don. 
we couldn't even talk to each other. And we were in the opposite end zone, right? So we couldn't even see what was happening on the push play. But right before the Jarrett catch, I looked over at my brother and I said, we have a great chance to win this game. Matt Leinert listening to the play call on fourth down. What drama in a game that had the biggest pickup buildup I can remember of any college game in recent years all over radio, television, newspapers, talked up. 27-game winning streak, two-time national champions. Notre Dame revived under Charlie Weiss, 4-1, and ranked ninth, and the top-ranked Trojans, and it lived up to Billy. Leinert on fourth down, in the pocket, goes down the sideline. It's caught! Jarrett just stopped short of the 10-yard line by Ambrose Wooden. Well, way to jinx us, Doug. Nice job. You know, it, it really is true. I think true Notre Dame fans know everyone else remembers that push and what that did in the world of college football. And really now, I think you could trace the butterfly effect to what we saw this past year in the NFL from the Philadelphia Eagles and what they've done with their fourth and one scramble quarterback sneak that they do with Jalen Hurts. I think that goes directly back to the Bush push. But true Notre Dame fans will always look and go, we had them backed up on fourth and eight. And Dwayne Jarrett makes that catch and runs it up the sideline and the rest is history. So that's absolutely the one that's still stuck in my craw after all these years. And I was living in Jersey at the time. I said, I go to Notre Dame Stadium to watch a Jersey kid break everybody's heart at the stadium. Are you kidding me? He should have been at Rutgers. He was from New Brunswick. So what is he doing on the field for for uh, Southern Cal? But uh, Mike Golick Jr., it's been a lot of fun having you on the show. First of all, thanks for your time with the Irish and bringing us, you know, so many fun moments. And thanks to your entire family for, you know, just giving us such glory through the years. And the reason why my dad was such a, a huge fan, I know he's up somewhere up there looking down on us saying, wow, you had Mike Golick Jr. on your show. That's fantastic. Continued success for DraftKings and with your Gojo podcast. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. It was a really fun chat. And uh, go Irish. Let's hope it's a fun fall. Sports Jam is a WBGO news production. You can check out all the past shows by going to WBGO.org slash Sports Jam or WBGO.org slash Studios. You can also find Sports Jam with Doug Doyle on the NPR list of podcasts or wherever you hear podcasts. Special thanks going out to NBC for Notre Dame football highlights and to Sammy Steinlight for hooking me up with Mike Golick Jr. Until our next Sports Jam session, I'll see you at the game.